This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Ladies and gentlemen, in this corner, we have the Game Dev Unchained podcast, the number one podcast team for game development and the lifestyle of game developers. Thank you, Mr. Bruce Buffer. Uh, I'm Larry Charles, one half of the team, and standing in the blue corner this week, co-host, Mr. Brandon Pham. What's up, everybody? Are you guys ready to rumble? This is the Game Dev Unchained podcast. Please welcome a special guest this week with me. Brian Canary. Hey, Brian. Hey. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Brian. Sure. So this is the part of the podcast, Brian, where we ask our guests to kind of go over their background, where they're at, where they were, where you're heading, to give our listeners some context of who you are. Sure. Uh, I'm a lead game designer at Splash Damage now in the UK. Um as they say in Highlander, I've been lots of different places. Uh, <laughs> I've been at Kabam, Disney, uh, Cryptic, Mythic, Sony. Uh, yeah, lots of places. Uh, MMOs, lots of MMOs. I've worked on EverQuest. I've worked on Dark Age of Camelot. I worked on Warhammer Online. I worked on Champions Online. I worked on Valsar Galactica Online. Lots of onlines. Uh, so yeah, uh, a lot of experience from a lot of places. Uh, where I'm going, God knows, it's the games industry. <laughs> Amen. That's quite a resume, though. By the way, that's just. Thanks. Uh, I, wish, <laughs> yeah. I wish I had. I wish I had enough clout to be like, oh yeah, well I, <laughs> like I'm, yeah, I, I worked on like two games. <laughs> Is Splash Damage the first company that made you do move out of the country, or? Yep, absolutely. Okay. So that's been an interesting experience for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We would love to circle back on your experience. I'm just moving over there. So how, how long you've been around? <laughs> I guess we'll start with that. <laughs> oh God. Um, 1996, I think is when I first started at Sony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 96 is a tester. I worked on uh two extreme was the first game I did testing on. Serious? Yeah. I'm serious. Two extreme. <laughs> Okay, yep. it's one of my favorite games <laughs> ever. Two, and, and ESPN Extreme games before that, and then yep. Two Extreme was like it was it was yeah. more of what I loved. You know? Oh my god! Yeah, that's, yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Okay, all right. I'm in I business. Hear, I can still hear the, the the loading screen music in my head because you know, as a tester, you hear that quite a lot. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, uh, let me say this shout out to you converting from testing into game design and, you know, going up through that rank. There's a lot of people who go into testing specifically to get either production or design jobs. Yep. So what was that yeah. like, especially in the early nineties, would you say, did you knew that you wanted to go into design even then? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That was okay. the, the whole reason why I took the job. Uh, I just moved to San Diego and, and I, 
I had my two-year degree, my associate's degree, and I was so I was like bottom of the rung for all classes for transfer, so I couldn't get in anywhere. And I just happened to have given my application at uh, I believe it was at Comic Con that mm-hmm. that Sony had a had a booth there, and I gave an application. I had been turned down in the past before, but I just kept giving them my application. And like in the day that I kept getting uh, turndowns uh, in college, I got an interview request, and I went mm-hmm. in, and then I kind of had this crossroads before me. It's like so. Do I try to finish my, you know, get a four-year degree or do I start on my career right now in testing? And I'm like, well, screw it. Let's give it a shot. And I guess 20 years later, it worked out. So Definitely. Definitely. Um, cool. So how long were you in testing before you converted into design, if you don't mind uh, asking? Probably about a year, year and a half, I think. Yeah. Still remember that, too. I, uh, I saw the name EverQuest written on a whiteboard and it just... Like, I don't know what this is, but it sounds amazing. So I've got to find out what it is. And so I kind of like got through my contacts and, and ended up talking to, uh, to, to Brad McQuaid uh, mm-hmm. and uh, getting in as the, the lead tester on that at first mm-hmm. and then worked my way into uh, assistant producer and then into design. Oh, nice. So you, you jumped twice. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, where was it? Would you say harder back then or easier back then to make that type of transition? Because nowadays we, we, we do a lot of interviews and we have friends ourselves that are still working at the ranks. And especially from tester to, to designer, it's still a hard jump for, for a lot of developers out there. Uh, I don't know if it's any easier. I know that it still does happen. I've seen it happen even here. I've only been at Splash Damage, uh, what, five or six months. And mm-hmm. I've already seen it happen here. So it, do- it still does happen. Uh, I haven't done it myself, so I'm not sure how difficult it is. But I think that if you have the the right talent and the right drive, that you can certainly find it, an opportunity will present itself for mm-hmm. sure. So definitely going through 20 years of this, <laughs> have you noticed a pattern or anything different in the last few years that, that have caused developers to kind of worry or be excited about either or? I uh, definitely the approach to free to play and monetization is something to to kind of worry about. I mean, yeah. I, uh, when I was in in school, I did a little bit of of uh, work in psychology. That was what I was majoring in before I dropped out to do game design. And uh, I I'd done research and stuff on operant conditioning, and that's basically what you know what loop boxes and and that kind of thing was. So I I knew like decades ago where it could go if it went in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. and it and, and finally we're seeing the repercussions where you know, you keep pushing it and you keep pushing it and you keep pushing it. And then finally somebody in some government position is going to find somebody in their family that's affected by it and Mm -hmm. legislation happens. And, and, you know, in Belgium, we're finally starting to see that stuff. And so that's definitely been a big difference is is the kind of slot machine aesthetic that games have been used recently. And um, it's nice to see that people are actually kind of pushing it the other direction, but it was, it felt kind of a little slimy working on that stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah, I how do I want to say this? I like the fact that there is like gotcha in game design. Like that's yeah, if you take the money out of it, right? Like I'm I love the idea of like, okay, we have this limited amount of content, but due to rarity, you know, sure. you can generate excitement for when you get like, oh yes, like I really wanted this item and it's like a one in three hundred drop. And I finally yeah. got it. Like that moment is always cool, right? Like Sure. clear instances and wow to try to get mounts or weapons or like i love that part of it but it's the like sleaze of the like yeah and if we make them pay (laughs) we're gonna keep you know and so there was um 
I guess one model that I really appreciate is kind of like the the key model where the randomized loot actually is the free stuff, but the key to open the box is going to be something that you need to actually pay for or something like that. So it's like, I think if we can maybe separate the gotcha from the payment, it's a little more decent, right? So like you can open every loot box that you get, but you actually have to use a hard currency to like claim the treasure inside of the loot box that you open. So I'm not going to charge you for trash. I'm just going to charge you for the stuff that you actually want. You're not charging me for the spin. You're charging me for the result, which is, yeah. yeah. And there's nothing wrong with the spin. I mean, I absolutely love treasure tables and stuff like that. Ever since Dungeons and Dragons, people have loved that, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with with random acquisition of loot. It's just like you said, when it becomes exploitative is when you start feeling the Mm. the slime creep in. (laughs) Were there there any key people in the office who, like, you could tell are just like, oh, like, like bragging about, like, taking all this money from people over your career? Like, could you tell the sleazy people who were responsible? Yeah, there have been some people from certain places, yeah, that usually from outside the the classic games industry that have had that kind of like the the Mr. Burns hand dream. It's always the yeah, you're right. It's these hands. <laughs> this is how this is how they evaluate your game design ideas. <laughs> how much they rub their hands together. That's how you just can. Yeah. Have you always just stuck around with the PC console uh, side of game design or have you experimented with the other side of the industry? Like mobile? Yeah, I've, I've, I've been all over the place. Yeah, I've, I've been in console, PC and mobile. Uh, I worked at uh, Disney and uh, who else have I worked at? Uh, and Kabam. Those are the two big ones. Oh, yeah, from yeah. But yeah, I was in mobile for about about two years, two, three years. Mm-hmm. What, were you, what was your perspective on how they operate over there on that side versus the traditional way of game design? Well, I definitely the craziest thing was uh, development time. I mean, going from like an MMO, which can go three to five years easy to mm-hmm. three to five months. Yeah. <laughs> in, in some cases, in some mobile games, um, that's that's crazy. And because of the, you know, how small and we're talking about when I got in, we're talking with like the X games kind of stuff was working out like, you know, like mafia wars and this wars and that wars of the uh, amount of fast follow and just Mm -hmm. copying other things was just, was super prevalent. And that was something I wasn't even remotely expecting to, Mm -hmm. you know, basically just, okay, sit down here and uh, here's the game, copy it, just change, basically change all the art and change all the names of everything. So that was, that was a weird wild west kind of thing going on there. Here's my test, but change a few answers so the teacher doesn't uh-huh. know you cheated. <laughs> precisely, precisely. That method of game design. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let me go. Uh, I want to ask you a quick question about EverQuest. EverQuest, in my mind, I would say was responsible for like the MMO boom that I can recall. Like that was yeah. maybe Ashron's call even might have been one of the first pieces of content that I was exposed to, like the MMO concept. But yeah. your EverQuest was the first like boom, you know, multi-million user. Were you, I guess, were you part of that rise while you were there? Because how early on were you in the project when you, because it sounds like you didn't know what EverQuest was, as in like EverQuest didn't exist yet publicly. Yeah. You got your hands on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as a tester, all I all we saw was the name on the whiteboard. And I think it, from that time to me actually getting a play or like get in and develop for it, hmm. uh, it was probably three or four months. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was still a gleam in... <laughs> in sony's eye when i saw it uh so yeah from from the very outset for sure oh, man. dude that's you're, you're you've grandfathered an industry <laughs> you know, that's 
or not an industry, but a, a genre. You've a helped. genre, yeah. yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. Give me my life back. <laughs> it's all your fault. <laughs> oh, I've, I've been accused of so many divorces and breakups and job losses and school failures. It's it's happened all over the place. <laughs> no, I, I, I only say that in jest. Uh, it's my own discipline is the reason why I have anything yeah. to complain about. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so one of the things that Larry and I are starting to come to grips with is that it feels like... Um, our expectation and reality is, is kind of colliding a bit. Like we feel like uh, before we started, we felt like game developers as we age, it would get easier, but it seems like it's getting harder and harder. Uh, the more experience since we uh, develop. Um, do you have any commentary on that? In, in terms of being 20 years in the biz, just, uh, you know, follow up for this for you. Yeah. I mean, some of the, the base fundamentals has stayed the same, so that kind of helps you hit the ground running a little bit in each new experience. But each new experience is a new experience. And I've, I mean, the, the technology and the way the game's produced changes so quickly all the time that you never really can, quote unquote, get comfortable, mm-hmm. which I guess is half the reason why I'm in it, too, because I'm the kind of guy that gets bored easy. So mm-hmm. if I was working on something that was the same for a long enough time, I'd probably move on. Mm-hmm. Uh but so yeah, I mean the fundamentals stay the same. There's there's stuff that's that's common from board game to MMO, but it's the way that it gets made. It, it's shifting all the time, and the software's changing all the time and updating all the time. And so that never changes. Just so if you're if you're in it for the long haul, expect things to change all the time. Not to mention just the volatility of the industry itself. <laughs> just when you think you're set in your ways at a company, well, you might not be there anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, tell me about it. Oh. <laughs> So I have a follow-up actually to that as well. Uh, I was explaining this actually to some people earlier today where I'm a 11 years in, in game development. And I was saying that like initially jumping in the industry, I was super excited. Like, yeah, I'm going to make video games. It's going to be awesome. And I love this. And then as a like more seasoned professional, it's like, yeah, I'm going to make video games. <laughs> it's awesome. I love this. It's you know, your because 11th it's, mile. <laughs> yeah, like your, your creativity is on, is on demand. Like it's on tap, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. when you genuinely love it without any sort of demand for it, like you're creating in its purest sense. Whereas when it's expected of you, you know, you're trying to be professional and be creative, but you're like squeezing it to get a result like on time and like in a different fashion. Do you feel like you battle any sort of uh, creative fatigue spending, you know, so much time doing game design, especially doing lots of online MMO type action RPG games? Uh, Definitely. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things is, is to kind of distance yourself from the project a little bit. I mean, obviously you want your passion to to be involved and you want to use that as much as you can, but it's kind of like the, uh, if you've ever read any of the Anne Rice vampire movies, you can, you dr- creatively, you drink, drink the blood of your subject. So, but, but don't drink it until it dies. So don't, you know, because <laughs> like, you know if you drink it until it dies and you, you know, you go into torpor, you, 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 you go down with it. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So have that kind of relationship with your creativity. Use it, but don't get so invested in it that if something happens in the project that that can interrupt your creativity or interrupt your passion, that that mm. you become just completely uncreative anymore. So right. do that, and also just consume, 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 consume when it comes to creative things. Watch creative things, plays, movies, podcasts, anything. Yeah. 
just make sure that that you're getting that influx so that you can take that and basically process it, put your own spin on it and put it into the projects that you're working on. So here's a quick challenge question then. What is like the most obscure thing that was not related to a video game that actually inspired you to, you know, or led to an idea or even a game design? Like, oh, wow, that crab, the way that it's changing into another crab shell, like that'd be a great <laughs> usable chair style game with silly controls. Oh, God. Um, I don't know about that. Uh, I mean, usually <laughs> stuff like like uh, during the development of EverQuest, I was mm. certainly using a lot of uh, of Magic the Gathering stuff because that was coming up right around the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used a lot of not necessarily mechanics, but there was like switching names around or ideas for characters because it was, mm. you know, it was uh, fantasy and EverQuest was fantasy. So we did stuff like that. I can't think of anything like just off the cuff, like while I was walking down the street and saw something and, and but I'm sure it's happened. If nothing sure. else, it's, it's been subliminal, but it's okay. not something that, I, that I actively done. Um, maybe like, like people's quirks or like friends, you know, mm-hmm. things that that's, been, yeah, you'll like loop that in. Like any writer will tell you anybody that, you know, anything that they're writing is, is stuff that they saw. They're stealing from people's activities mm-hmm. and stuff all the time. Especially MMOs. Like all the MMOs I play, it's like chock full of nuts of pop culture and oh, yeah. you know, nerd culture and, yeah. you know, little references and tips of the hats from the developers. And actually, when I first come across those types of things, I'm always like, oh, like I groan, like, oh, they're yeah. they're doing a play on this or a play on that. But then it's also like, man, these people really like admired or loved these things. It's this is what I yeah. hope. And that, yeah. you know, this is actually like an homage in a way to like, hey, thanks for making my childhood awesome. Here you go, Ralph, the alien that looks yeah. like a, a dog. Like, oh, yeah. that's Alf, you know? Like, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the in the Wraith Mountains in EverQuest, we were putting mm. together this group of paladins, and I was working with an intern at the time, and we're trying to figure out the amount of, pe- of their, how many there should be. And he's like, I don't know, what, six, seven? He's like, what, do you think eight is enough? I'm like, yeah, I think eight is enough. And you just named them. <laughs> and so, we, so all all the paladins in the Wraith Mountains in that group are all named after characters from Aiden's Enough. That's awesome, man. Uh, what's I guess what's your favorite Easter egg that you snuck into a game? If you don't mind me asking, and you won't that's get in one of them. Um, one that's kind of super blatant is there's a uh, there's a frog in in one of the uh, I think it's one of the lakes. I think it's right here. Uh, it, that is uh, it's a triple pun. It's uh, it's it's per, Prince Kermit Karapi. So it's a frog prince being a frog, mm-hmm. Kermit the frog, Kermit, and then Karapi the uh, the I think it's a Hello Kitty frog so there's mm-hmm. there's that um and there's lots lots of things like that are all like you said when you're doing an mmo and you've just got to do content content mm-hmm. content you just start like <laughs> you start grabbing anything you possibly can and putting in that uh lockjaw the alligator is probably one of, another big thing for me because he was the first uh big creature big fast dangerous creature that you came up with against at that at that level and um and so People recognize him because he's like, oh, I got killed by by Lockjaw. And uh, so I'm happy about that, about creating him, because he's gotten so popular that now uh, EverQuest has a server. It's called the Lockjaw server. So that's something that's actually had legs of things that I created. So that's kind of cool. And I think EverQuest run servers servers are still running. running. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, they're still doing expansions. Oh, which so, so you gotta be yeah, you gotta be gotta be happy about that. It's like, yeah, people are still playing the game. I'm how many new players? 
How many new players do you think EverQuest is getting? Like one oh, every God. three years? It's, it's got to be minuscule. It's, got, it's legacy at this point. It's just when their yeah. kids get old enough, you know? <laughs> you're oh, oh going to join dad in his favorite hobby. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go look at YouTube videos of EverQuest right now just to, just to be shocked. You know, <laughs> I don't want to take up all your time on EverQuest. But... Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously you're uh, across the ocean from us yeah um how has that been kind of just is this your first time out of the country working for another place uh yeah for long term i did some some quick stints in china for a couple of the people but uh it was only like weeks at a time it wasn't anything long so this is the first like permanent move mm-hmm. uh it's been crazy uh london is actually very similar to san francisco in a lot of respects i think it's like mm-hmm. what if what if San Francisco had Bart and Bart actually like worked and worked all the way around the peninsula? It's kind of like, so it feels like that. It's like, it's like San Francisco with much better public transportation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and of course, yeah, oh, I was just going to say on the, uh, the people, I mean, the, obviously just, even though you get a good smattering of, of international people in San Francisco, it's just like super, super high intensity in London. The amount of languages you can hear on one train ride is crazy. Mm. Uh, has there been anything glaringly different just working obviously it's too it's a game company so there are similarities but with the culture change and everything has it been anything noticeably different uh well dealing with different cultures for sure i mean i've i've worked on teams that have people from eastern europe and africa and the Soviet bloc and, you know, and Asia and, and, and so it's, it definitely feels like uh, the crew of the enterprise and in a lot of respects in that way, in a good way, it's really cool to have those cultures meld together and, and have all those different perspectives so that you can use that to make the best game possible. That's been super different. Um, I mean, obviously there's been people like that in in other companies of workshop, but not to this extent. Uh, Other than that, uh, holidays in europe are certainly way different than holidays in the states so it's nothing for someone to take like two weeks off where in you almost never see something like that in in the states once in a in a while i would see somebody do that but it happens here all the time and you know but we still keep everything going and and we make sure that there's a lot of redundancies that people understand what other people are working on Mm -hmm. because of that so that's been kind of cool too the the cross training has been a little more like focused on and that's that's kind of cool Mm-hmm. Do uh, people swoon over your American accents? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but it is great being on the other side and hearing like cool accents all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, is that no, American what... accent that I hear? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I, I've actually, someone has said that once, and that's. <laughs> but, <laughs> But they certainly weren't swooning. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will. I will touch on this though. Like I really like the fact that you're highlighting the your project having a lot of benefit from having a diverse culture and a lot absolutely. of you know, like and and underlining it with a statement like absolutely. You know, yeah. Because there's a lot of companies that I feel like are afraid of or you know are worried about being too diverse and won't yeah. hire you know so exclusively. Yeah. That's. That's not the future. I mean, the uh, gaming is a global industry, and you're you're definitely making games for a global audience. So you should have as many opinions as early as possible. Not necessarily opinions, but at least takes on it. I mean, and then you you can take the best from it. It helps so much for sure. I mean, you can get things addressed that you had no idea that you were missing because of that. Mm-hmm. I, I, just, I absolutely love the diversity and collaboration in game design. Mm-hmm. Do you 
I mean, obviously, uh, most game companies, and you kind of commented on this before, American companies especially, two weeks is like what you would get throughout the year. With the European approach, and we hear this all the time over on this side, on how they are more, uh, they respect work-life balance more over there. Have you seen it improve the overall quality for game developers on on that side well i haven't been here for a super long time but yeah i mean i have definitely not seen the the burnout that i'm used to seeing mm-hmm. in the in the states i mean i haven't been here long enough to see actually a good cycle but i definitely think that it, it has made for a healthier workforce in the small amount of time that i've seen for mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. Well. Uh, well, let me ask you a quick question about Disney. You worked on like Nemo over there, right? I believe. Yeah. Nemo's Reef. Yeah. Nemo's Reef. Nemo's Reef. So I always like to ask questions about working on IP, but still trying to be creative because the first thing that comes up is like constraints where you have characters, you have expectations, you have a fantasy that you're trying to deliver, but you also need to be creative, add some originality. How easy is it working with Disney trying to come up with concepts or pushing or pulling on things that they I mean, maybe they weren't bringing out the red tape for a Nemo game, but I mean, I'm just assuming, like, I'm just going to ask, you know, or maybe I should ask this question for Battlestar Galactica or Star Wars even. Like, can you maybe address what it was like being creative but working inside the constraints of IP, like fan critical, you know, constraints, like where you'll get death threats if you... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, you killed my favorite character. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. like, yeah. (laughs) This is not canon. Yeah, absolutely. Each one of those, it's definitely they definitely have their own like hot button issues for, mm-hmm. for what you can and can't mess with for sure. With it's very character centric in a place like Disney. Um for Battlestar Galactica, because it wasn't like they weren't running a series at the time, it wasn't okay. that that tight. We had yeah, a lot more room to kind of like add stuff to it. Uh, Star Wars is Star Wars. I don't know really how to explain it other than, you know, (laughs) uh, you've got to have all your ducks in a row with that one. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're definitely meticulous. Uh, I've also worked with both Marvel and DC and Mm -hmm. DC was surprisingly strict with some of the stuff that we were, that we had to deal with. Uh, We were working with uh, an Aquaman game and we actually didn't even have the, rights to to do the most recent document walkman at that time it was the one they had the he had the water hand and we wanted to put that guy in the game it's like now you, you can't put him in there yet and it's like but that's what's in the comics right now and, and mm-hmm. yeah they had their reasons so um you, yeah you definitely have to be creative and have to have more content than you would expect on mm-hmm. on a non-ip game because some of the stuff's going to stick and some of it's not going to stick uh, another thing is make sure that you de- that you uh, deliver it in large chunks because the feedback loop can be really long sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they they don't care really about your deadlines <laughs> in in that respect. So, yeah, make sure that when you do deliver your content, that that you got have a nice big chunk of it to be able to work on and to be able to 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 cull from when they say this can't work and that can't work because if you're just sitting there waiting for them to. Uh, to get back to you, that can be a death spiral when it comes to your deadlines. I hear that. That actually makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I, I could not imagine, you know, trying to be 
coming up with a whole bunch of brand new stuff star wars game create interesting loops plot twists and spins having to gut check it against like all the other star wars stuff and then also send it up the chain because they might be writing some new stuff that you know fans don't know about yet absolutely absolutely yeah, I imagine that like all those Star Wars projects that are going to be single player adventure games. I cannot imagine what those meetings are like where they're like, nope, can't do this because we can't tell you why. Can't exactly. Do this because we yeah. can't tell you why. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that is, that's true. There have been some times when they turn something down and you're like, why the hell did that happen? And you find out like three, four, five months later when they release something else, you're like, oh, yeah. that character is exactly the same as the one that I pitched to them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, then what's worse is then they stole your idea. If you feel well, <laughs> no, it was too. They, they, then they just Jedi mind trick it away. Yeah. <laughs> this is not the game design you are looking yes. for. <laughs> uh, well, what's your favorite project that you've gotten to design on so far in your career, and why did it make itself a standout favorite? Oh, well, I liked working on Star Wars Uprising because that game was canon, even for a mobile game that was pretty rare. So yeah, um, there's some there's some uh, like minerals and a planet in star wars canon that i created so it's like oh that's kind of cool maybe sometime in the future you'll see the the planet that i that i created in a book or in a movie or somewhere like oh that's pretty cool that's mine (laughs) Uh, what did you call it so our our listeners Uh, um i think it was uh narhypa was the name of the planet and had to do with some sort of uh the uh Jabba's race, which I can't think of, and people are going to be yelling at me all over the place. But yeah, so it was just <laughs> I had I had to come up with a name that was similar to to one their home planet plus one of the indigenous creatures that were on the planet that we were working on. So I put the words together and came up with that. So yeah, <laughs> Game design magic right there, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, dude, your your scene's looking pretty sharp, but. It, it's like it's getting faster and faster that you're working on this kind of stuff. I usually it takes you a while, but you know, you cleared a whole room in like the last hour I was watching over your shoulder. What's going on? This is all thanks to Quixel Megascans of the photogrammetry program from Quixel that allows me to use photogrammetry textures and assets to put into my scene. It's as easy as drag and drop, and it's something that you, I, anybody in the game industry can use right now. Oh, nice. Well, where do I go and find out more about Quixel and Megascans? Go to megascans.se. You can use our promo code GDU. That gives you 30% off for the first three months. But what exactly do I get if I use that promo code? You get a couple of apps, right? Megascans is a library, so uh, they update that every week. Also, you have a Quixel Mixer that allows you to kind of customize your own textures using their library. And the Quixel Bridge that allows you to uh, easily integrate it into Unreal Engine or Unity. It's nice. going to be really helpful for you. So if you want to be able to use photorealistic art in your games, in your architectural previs, in whatever 3D projects you're working on, and you need high-level, top-quality looking art, you can definitely go to Quixel Suite, get Mega Scans, you can use Bridge, and you can also use Mixer. That's a heavy combination. And it's available for less money than it normally costs. So exactly. definitely use our code. Begin your make, subscription now. Yeah, and you yes. can make art that looks like Brandon's. Exactly. So uh, obviously we we go through this with a bunch of people that we start out with. And usually uh, I'm starting to find like a lot of my friends at least who, who are in it for the last 10 years or so are... A lot, a lot have been switching careers too, just 
because of the nature of the beast mm-hmm. or just seriously thinking about doing something uh, less risky. Uh, so maybe just going for games that isn't creatively challenging, but at the same time, you know, doesn't require them to move around as much. Have you been finding the same thing among your own network or yourself or, or how, what, what's your feeling about Oh uh, yeah, there's there's lots of people that it, it becomes too much for. I mean, there, there's definitely a certain amount of grind and risk involved in this industry. It's, it's very very volatile. A lot of people that I've known in engineering have been able to do that. They'll they'll say, well, I, I'll leave the games industry and go do something else. It's a lot more stable, a lot mm-hmm. more money. Uh, mm-hmm. so, but, but I mean, I guess it's it comes down to the person's personal passion. I mean, I've I've had times where I've been laid off and I was out of work for a while and I've had to take a couple attempt jobs or some, something that wasn't in the industry. And it becomes immediately apparent to me that I can't work with those people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's, there's, that's something I think that you take uh, for granted when you're in the industry is that everybody around you is also a game geek. And mm-hmm. if you spit out a reference that three quarters of the room is going to pick up on that reference and be able to build on it. And that that's part of the, the language of game design too, is the link, the, the language of geek. And I've already, I, since I live and breathe that when I go to a place that isn't there, I just, it feels like one of my senses is cut off or one of my lines of communication just isn't there. And it makes it much more difficult to work on something. So there's, there's always that. I always feel like I've gone into the, the civilian world when you have to work outside of game design. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 a mean mistress for for, for certain. But there's also benefits that <laughs> that you that you don't immediately see once you're outside of it. That's for sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely something very hard to turn your back on because we are in a very unique industry in terms of people, at least, uh, and we have so much fun. Uh, doing it and like you said it's like a mean mistress you keep coming back for the abuse (laughs) (laughs) well you know um i too am a game designer and uh i designed this really cool game it's really quick and i would love to play it with you right now okay all right this game is called the fast five i'm gonna ask you five rapid fire questions and i need five rapid fire answers you ready to play let's shoot I have a feeling you're going to get a high score on this one. Okay. <laughs> Question number one, who's the biggest game design influence in your career thus far? Uh, Warren Spector. Question number two, can you name your favorite video game cinematic? Uh, the opening cinematic to Wing Commander 2. Mm. Question number three, if one band could narrate the soundtrack of your life for a day, which band would it be? ACDC. <laughs> Question number four is your favorite mixed drink. Oh God. Um a uh dark and stormy. I've never had one of those, but it sounds cool. <laughs> Question number five. If you had to be the editor of DC Comics and they wanted to turn one famous Batman villain into a hero and write a series about it, which villain would you take on to become the new hero of Gotham? Clayface. Oh, Clayface a hero. Actually, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, kind of like a Green Lantern vibe for me when I see Clayface, mm-hmm. power wise. Yeah, power wise, but then he could also become anybody. Image, so he could he could definitely like infiltrate and mm-hmm. be able to turn things around that way. He'd be really yeah. plus he's he's got an addiction problem with the stuff. It's there's a lot in there that you could work with. 
Mm-hmm. Man, that was like I said. I had a feeling it was going to be record time, and you <laughs> proved me right. If we dig back through the episodes, you're in top three for sure. Thank you very much. You got all five questions right, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Perfect score. <laughs> so, one of the things that we uh, like, it, it, we're looking back twenty years, right? If you had like a choice to pick like the highlights of maybe your own career, but at least like what has influenced the industry to make pivotal changes because 20 years is a long time. A lot of things have been happening. If we just talk about the last five years, there's a lot of things that as a game designer, I believe, you know, there's a lot more choices or in, in how to think about it in good or bad ways. Microtransaction being one of them really changes how you guys approach a, a player and, and be sensitive or not. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. what would you say the the major changes in the last 10 years or, or 20 years actually that, that has shifted the industry to think differently to approach game design? The biggest for sure is the advent of the internet and, and being able to have quote unquote, a live game. I mean, that's something that we kind of like, you know, cut our teeth on with EverQuest uh, those in in its earliest stages is actually being able to build a game that isn't packaged and then fire and forget. That's that's the way that it was for a long time was you would make a product and then you'd ship it and it would, you'd be done with it. So all the flaws, all the good stuff is just there forever. And now being able to continuously support that, you definitely have to change the way that you think about games. I mean, there's, the positives are there are there might be some things that you didn't think of that, that you couldn't get into that package that you can now add. So you can, you can improve, you can add the stuff that you didn't have, but the negatives to that are that it's still going. So you've got to plan for a cadence and making sure that the players are happy with the amount of content you are delivering in the way that you're delivering it. And are you, do you monetize it or don't you monetize it or, and, and the new bugs that can be introduced. And the, now you have, you basically have live feedback of the game that you're, you know, that you're developing. So, the, the players might have a horrible reaction to something, but it might just be because they don't understand it. And then, so did you make a mistake or mm-hmm. so, so do you let it go or do you roll it back? Uh, it's, it's definitely the life nature of video games has completely changed the way that we do development and for good and for bad as most technologies are. <laughs> Premium games, the service model is like super scary to me, right. To like say, Hey, you know, buy the $60 game and then get this like cyclical or episodic content that we're just going to produce against the bottom line of copies sold already, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then the other side of saying like, okay, well we'll make the initial game for free, but then just hope that we're going to sell seasonal DLC stuff or Mm -hmm. we're going to sell both, you know, like, Oh man, it's exactly. Yeah. Do you double dip? Do you triple dip? I mean, it gets to the point. like, how how much are you going to ring out of the player? You know? (laughs) What's crazy is for us as the like older generation, it feels like that because I immediately like I just paid 60 bucks for this game. Yeah. And now you guys want me to spend 14 and then three months from now, you're going to ask me to do it again and again and again. But like the new people are like, that's just status quo for me. You know, like that's, that's how game, that's how games work, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> why, why don't you guys work for free? Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, as, as an older gamer, I definitely almost feel like it is a, a point of pride if I'm playing a free to play game that I can eke everything out of it without spending a penny. It's like you've, you've given me a challenge. <laughs> is, is, this game, is this game playable without spending? Well, I'll find out for sure. Which is, I mean, I, 
it all comes down to also play style. I mean, if, if there are people that enjoy that stuff and like I do, and there are people that that don't have the time or just want to pay pay through. And that's another thing is is respecting the other perspective, even if you, it isn't you. So right. designing for that is also interesting. Putting yourself in other people's shoes and and having that kind of player empathy is is really important these days because games do have a wide reaching audience. So you've got to have that in in your consideration when you're designing, and it's much easier to deal with that if you design for it as early as possible, because trying to retrofit, we've all seen people trying to make a, a, a subscription game or whatever into a free to play and tacking that stuff on is usually a recipe for disaster. It can be done, but it's not nearly as easy if you haven't designed for it at the beginning. Yeah. I, I definitely want to sign off on that. Like it can be taxing or rewarding. Uh, the amount of player feedback a, a developer gets now. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Because it used to be us going into a cave for a few years and coming back and hoping that it's something that a person would like, right? So now that, you know, players want immediate uh, feedback and developers use it as a marketing opportunity or whatever, um, can be very scary or very good just, I guess, on their uh, experience with it. Uh and I feel like that's increasingly becoming more and more a thing. Like, I, I feel like the the at least the AAA developers or the AAA companies that don't embrace that are falling behind. Especially now, we're going more and more into the five year cycles mm-hmm. instead of the three. Um, they're kind of coming out. Five years is a long time now. Okay, of course, in the game industry. Industry. Yeah. that's what I mean. It's like you miss out a lot. Like five years from now, it could be people with AR technology, and that's yeah. the thing. Look at it this way: five years ago, the number one game sweeping the world was Grand Theft Auto Five, I believe. Right? Oh, yeah, it's and, still doing well. <laughs> no, no, don't get me wrong. But as far as like, okay, the day, let's say the first year of Grand Theft Auto Five, that's like the juggernaut game. Everyone's right. worried about that game. Then we have over that period of time, you have yeah. bio expansions. You have what the hell is that game? Rocket That's, League. Yeah. You have Fortnite. Eight, eight Assassin's Creed games. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How many years? Shift. One per year. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Such, such a shift now. Like I wouldn't have seen Fortnite Battle Royale coming from nope. Grand Theft Auto Five day. Right. Right. Yeah. Could not see it at all. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because that's kind of what we're doing with Red Dead Redemption 2, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. been in it's been in development for basically five years. And yeah. I, I mean, not many people have played it, if any. I mean, we're just now seeing some people that have had like an hour or two mm-hmm. uh, testing it. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's something that's kind, kind of sort of been built in, mm-hmm. in a box, like you said. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see how, how that's... Uh, goes up against the stuff like the like you know cod blops and and those things that have that have been iterative more um mm-hmm. i i think it'll be great i mean i'm mm-hmm. certainly looking forward to it but uh, it'll be interesting to see for sure it's i definitely want to know the data like i feel like the people who buy red dead 2 or or, or any of those like triple a games are us type mm-hmm. of people like the people who grew up with consoles and pc like I would love to know the percentage of the new the uh, the, the 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 younger like the, the younger kids yes. that grew up on 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 phone games and stuff like how much of those guys are converting to console if at all like it doesn't yeah. feel like the 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 two mix at all the two groups oh they certainly I mean I my nephew is ten years old and uh, they definitely mix for sure okay. one one side for sure informs the other because I'll definitely see him play something on uh, on YouTube 
or uh, or uh, or playing a phone game and then switch right over to from that to a console game for sure. So it does it definitely happens. I have absolutely no idea what that kind of conversion rate is, mm-hmm. but I definitely have seen it. Um, also, when, when something makes such a big media splash like like Spider-Man or, or Red Dead 2, I think they definitely get that Me Tooist feel, you know? So they're like, oh, I want to be in on the cool thing. And maybe that exposes them to a gameplay style that they didn't know they liked. And that's that's really exciting as a game designer is, is right. somebody that you, that had no idea that they liked an RPG is now playing RPGs. That's, right. that's awesome. That's amazing. I am definitely seeing the iPhone games mature, audience maturing in, in, in more complicated games uh maybe before they only like bejeweled (laughs) (laughs) but now they're finally yeah kind of going into more complicated puzzle games yeah more complicated puzzle games that's that's match four (laughs) someday though someday they'll be playing match five Mobile phone gaming has come such a long way. I remember yeah. original iPhones, original like Nokia games, like monochromatic snake to yeah. like having a bejeweled, like, oh, snap. Yeah. yeah. Now we're seeing, we have on par parody cross play between cell phone and console. Yeah. Like, that's, that's still kind of mind blowing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. People playing Fortnite on the phones is, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's something we always imagined when we first had games on phones. And so it's crazy to see it actually happening now. And it's only going to get, you know, we're only going to see more and more of it. That's for sure. Well, I'm curious on your thought, like the phone and, or any device that you are carrying with you all the time is slowly just becoming a shell. Mm-hmm. Like shortly after Google kind of announced their little streaming service, Microsoft, you know, awesome. announced theirs. And it seems like streaming game is becoming more acceptable than ever before how do you feel that's going to be changing the landscape to a lot of new and old uh, players out there well the technology it means that you have to have a certain type of game i mean that's that's one of the reasons why what we did with uh, with everquest was it was one of the first games that actually required a 3d processor in the mm-hmm. in the pc that was a big risk so the technologies your tech, the technology is definitely going to limit the type of game that you do. So for streaming, until numbers get into a, a better position than they are, then stuff that are that's very Twitch oriented, like fighting games, are always going to be unless they fudge it, like like you know contest of champions fudges that kind of stuff, where they're not getting the actual you know move to move data. But that stuff is going to be not as as pro- prolific. You're going to just see more of a, a phase based or a turn based or you know slow interactions of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean it, it definitely. It limits the, the types of genres, the types of things you can put in games. But if popularity demands it, that means that you're going to have to cater to it. I mean, if you want to survive in the industry, you've got to cater to what's popular. And so you got to, once again, you got to be creative within those constraints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. those five-year plans, I <laughs> like especially for Rockstar, just to kind of go back to them for a moment. With Red Dead, I remember thinking of, I forgot what the first Red Dead, what was it, Red Dead Revolver? Revolver. Yeah. That was original Xbox era, right? Yeah. yeah. And Redemption comes out PS2. No, PS. that was PS3, Xbox 360 era, right? Yeah, I think so. Something like that. And yeah. then there's the new Red Dead Redemption 2, which is PS4. There was a console jump in generation with each game that came out successfully for that franchise. Yeah. yeah. Talk about major risk factor. Like, I think 2 really cemented the f- existence and the success of 3. Like, you could have just shown Red Dead Redemption yeah. 2 coming out October, whatever, and never have shown a trailer, never have shown oh, 
and it was already going to sell just off the strength of the last one. I certainly would have picked it up. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess juggernauts, right. Continue to prove <laughs> like their existence will be fine because they have yeah. enough money to control and influence the machine, mm-hmm. but a yeah. five year mid-level game, like you're freaking crazy. Like yeah. I would not, I would not be like, I hate to say it. I would not be Capcom and working on a five year game. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's scary. It's things change so much. Like you said, I mean, it's like everything's battle Royale now. So what do you do? You know, Capcom's like uh resident evil battle Royale. <laughs> it's probably, actually, I feel like after Kojima was fired, they kind of tried to do that with metal gear with zombies yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I don't think yeah. it was battle Royale, but it was some kind no. of like cheese. It was, like that. Yeah, it was what was it metal gear research oh, i forget the name metal gear, everybody metal gear rising? Was it rising? no not metal gear rising it was metal gear something but it's just basically recycling survival craft it was just yeah. a, it was just a slap in the face to just not disrespecting your developers to yeah. put a lot of their work in it and it's just polluting their own license we're gonna bury your game, Kojima. No one will ever play Metal Gear <laughs> exactly. after this. Yeah, I know, right? I and mean, that's essentially what it is. Yeah, we're gonna really, yeah, dirty up the brand. But like, like the juggernauts, right? I feel like the developers, the actual developers, or at least one of the key members of the developers that have been around since like the PS2 days, are are the only ones that you can bet on and just by name and brand name alone are able to put out because i'm still very impressed with how you know when rockstar came out with gta they were like the only one in the biz doing open world games so they were always pushing the hardware limits of and defining that that genre but since then there's been like pretty much every triple a studio have an open world game like it's you have to go open world now. It's, it can't be just a single narrative type of game anymore. There's definitely less. Like that arena is definitely less and less. Um, like, and there's only a few made men status, <laughs> like that can just go by. Here's the name of the title that we're coming out, and you will go buy that. Like even Assassin's Creed on a certain level isn't there yet. Like they still have to prove that it's a good game. People mm-hmm. are still looking at the reviews and to make sure that this Assassin's Creed actually delivers. Uh, and they're doing it every year, which is another crazy thing. Like, <laughs> so yeah, the amount of people working on that franchise is, is staggering around the globe. Just there's, there's so many people at, at any one time working on an Assassin's Creed game that it's just, it's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. I'm glad they did that though. Like the, it feels fresh. They are given enough time to like really revitalize the idea. To like yeah. we've gone from Egypt to now like Greek Odyssey. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like everything about the game looks and feels significantly different. They've upgraded the combat system. Like they had the ability to make leaps and bounds worth of progress. And all I want them to do is just finish the. Black Flag spin-off pirate game. <laughs> Everybody loves that. Game. I'm Absolutely. still waiting. Because <laughs> it was great. It was great. Yeah. Playing a pirate's fun. <laughs> I'm going to keep asking for it on this podcast. I've asked for it like seven times. <laughs> the team's been fired. So <laughs> I'm not. No, no. They're probably still doing things. So in your downtime as a game designer, what games do you like to play 
to, you know, I guess step away from what you do at work, but to also entertain yourself. And yeah. Um, over here, it's been great because I'm in a, a board game club and playing a lot of European board games has been super awesome. I've played maybe a hundred different types of board games since I started wow. joining that club here. So that's been great. Um, I still play a lot of collectible card games mm-hmm. on my off time just because it's it's nice, it's clean, it's short, and I can you know get, it, it scratches the design itch a little bit in a different way, but uh, but it's not too involving. But then I'm gonna play the big marquee games too. I mean, I just finished up Spider Man. Love that game. That was great. So uh, you know, uh, that's that's what I do. <laughs> Uh, well, what TCGs are you playing? If you can I'm name playing, top three, uh, Magic the Gathering Arena right now is the one because they, they just went into open beta, but I've been enclosed for a long time. Um, there's also a, a rare one. It's it's kind of not being supported anymore, but there was a game called Infinity Wars made by a bunch of uh, not not to do with the the Marvel title at all, but uh, a bunch of uh, Australian guys. That was a blast. It was a very interesting take on CCGs. Um, that's about it right now. <laughs> okay, that's too. That's respectable. That's uh, concentrated spending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So what? So what advice would you give to to um, new and upcoming designers or or existing designers that haven't been in the game as long as you have? Um, just just surveying the landscape a bit of the game industry and where it is. Like, what would you say to them to help preserve their well-being and to uh, to constantly improve themselves and stay relevant? <laughs> uh, definitely keep learning. Keep an open mind. Uh, no matter how long you are in this industry, you don't know everything. I mean, in fact, the longer I'm in it, the, the less I feel like I know almost <laughs> because there's just so much to learn. Um Make sure you love this stuff because as a designer, you don't have as many outside the industry opportunities as you do as, say, an artist or an engineer. There's a, a lot of the skills you get aren't really applicable to other places. So make sure you love it. I mean, if you're in it and you're in it for the long haul, make sure that, that this is something that you have to do because you might get stuck in it. If you're in a place where you're in a lurch and you don't have uh, – a place to, to go if you've been laid off or something like that. You might not be able to to supplement it as as easily. So make sure that you have that um, plan for stuff like that in, uh, over the long haul. In in the days where you've actually got a good job and a good income, you probably want to save a nest egg a bit for that time where you might be off because you could be off for a, a little longer than you expect. Mm-hmm. You never know in this industry. And the older I get, the harder that is. I mean, there's there's certainly an element of ageism. In, in tech in general, for sure. Mm-hmm. So there's that. So make sure that you've got a little bit to fall back on. Um, get, make a circle of friends outside of your, uh, outside of your company uh, so that you can have that kind of downtime and that recharge time. Cause that's, that's where you get your ideas and your creativity is through interacting with other people and doing things outside the industry. So have a couple, a couple of healthy hobbies outside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what are yours? If you don't mind. Uh, like I said, board gaming. Uh, board game I, also, I play, also play uh, Dungeons and Dragons more okay. recently. I definitely uh, that's had a huge resurgence in my life lately, and there's a lot, lot going on over here, which is really interesting to see. A lot of people play that. Um, that's been that's been fantastic. That's that's so good at at, at 
teaching you so many different things. You're getting immediate feedback from other players. You're, mm-hmm. getting, you're, you're, you're watching mechanics interact. You're watching so many creative solutions to problems that you can say, oh, damn, that's a great puzzle or a great way to do that. Um, I, can, I can apply that to this part of my game or that part of my game. It's, it's a great microcosm for the industry in general, almost. Um, and uh, don't forget that you're making games for a living. Yeah. You're having, you're actually having fun. Sometimes we forget, sit back and like, damn, <laughs> I make games for a living every single day. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm not punching a clock. I mean, as, as bad as, as, as it can get, it's like, wow, there's so many people that I, every time I say that, I get an interesting reaction to people that I haven't met before. Like, oh, you make games for a living? It's like, uh-huh. sometimes you forget about that. And yeah, it's like usually between like mid whip. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yes. like, oh, this is a pretty nice i mean it is a very rare thing um to have what we're having of course but yeah it's just that you know we we did an episode on telltale and like we're in the yeah. bay area i'm in the bay area so just there's been so much going on in the last six months with studio closure and all that stuff it's just hard to kind of like um and and like you mentioned before, like our skills are very unique. Like I'm an artist, sure, but there's a reason why I want to be in the game industry. Is a lot of it has to do with the people I want to work with, uh, the same the similarities and stuff. And it's just so fun because I feel like games more than anything are pushing and leading technology nowadays. Like you look at Seagraph in the last the last Seagraph, it's all about real time now. It's all about what we have been developing and working towards and we're kind of leading the charge in, in, in all industries because now it's all about immediate feedback, right? And and being able to use that. So what, what do you see? Maybe right now it's kind of hard to navigate the landscape of what how transferable game design is. But essentially we're all moving towards the matrix, right? <laughs> like you guys are designing towards that essentially and uh you know even um we're hearing tesla we're hearing nasa we're do- we're hearing all these like especially simulations or like or for doctors and all these different things they're they're uh, non-gaming applications there still needs to be like a training element to it for for a lot of industries that you guys are kind of taking that exercise outside of what we usually use it for have you been seeing a lot of that among friends or, or, or a shift that is starting to be like, Hey, we're not just here for entertainment anymore. Maybe we're work towards something that, that is a lot, a little bit more useful than just for fun, yeah, especially for learning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like five, six years ago, I remember gamification was everywhere. I remember hearing about it all the time and seeing a lot of stuff. And I don't know if it's just that I haven't, been looking but it that's kind of taken a more of a back burner recently i mean i guess there's been some vr applications for sure i've seen a lot of stuff because that's the hot tech these days so you see like you know learning applications for vr games and stuff like that but gamification is kind of maybe it's just it's been it's so people are used to it now that that they don't talk about it as much mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean I would hope to see more of that recently, but I haven't heard of it recently for sure. I'd like to see more for sure. Right. 
I think like a theory is just, I think the AR application with gamification is going to really blow it out. Like as soon as they figure out that tech that is more convenient for a person for aware, you're going to start to see. Once once VR is basically like, you know, like this, once it's, once it's a pair of glasses you can put on your head, then you'll finally see that type of, Mm. of, of, amount of people playing and using that that you want to see that critical mass and that then we'll see that kind of stuff where where ar and, and vr and things like that are used in all sorts of applications of, mm-hmm. for learning and training it, because it certainly is a game is definitely one of the easiest ways to train people because if, mm-hmm. if you can entertain somebody while they're learning then they'll learn a hell of a lot more that's for sure yeah, yeah. like the amount of people that are so attached to their phone as soon as you can put that into glass like people just hate sitting around doing nothing right yeah so they're always going to look for distraction something as simple as like a pokemon while you're waiting in line kind of peeking out and you gotta like poke at it mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like i feel like everything's going to turn into a game essentially yeah if i'm watching these black mirror episodes correctly <laughs> it's like everything's going to turn into basically a thing to kind of distract you from real life and then eventually murder you. I eventually murder you or, or at least <laughs> put a put an electric cord in you and feed you off like a battery or something like the Matrix. So. Just like the Matrix. <laughs> We're all thorough cells. Copper tops. Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, I, I hope it leans a little more towards Ready Player One. <laughs> that's yeah, that's, that's, that's the in-between, yeah. Yeah, it's the like... Just instead of making individual games and individual experiences, we just have this huge like alternate layer of a metaverse that I can tap into. And then all of the experiences just kind of like is available and has connective tissue between like if Steam itself became a game. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, pie in the sky. It's not going to happen while I'm alive. (laughs) Not even close. I feel like it will, man. I don't think you think so. I think within the next 20, 30 years, we're I think my, my son's son will like have the matrix for me. No, no, I think, I think honestly, within our life, people are going to, you're going to see a bunch of people kind of opting in the virtual life. It's going to be like, I, I don't know what they would call it. Like uh, it, you'll have a dual life. You have a virtual version of yourself and then a, a real life version of yourself. And it's going to be very, hard to tell the difference or it's going to be widely more accepted mm-hmm. so i'm going to go on vacation i'll see you guys and it's just someone plugged in at home <laughs> just, he just leans back in his chair <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's going to be within our lifetime it's kind of scary a bit but i feel like game developers will are, are playing this is now's our chance stroking <laughs> ourselves. That's what but saying. we're going to be playing now a major role chance. in in yeah. our future like if the matrix is the end goal like and everyone's looking towards us real time feedback with a layer of digital uh interactions either AR VR is going to be a very integral part to everyone's life as soon as they figure out while well, Facebook basically figures out <laughs> a convenient way to 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 wear something <laughs> the the key is everyone tries to do it with a device or some sort of overlay you need to just tell people to take out their eyeballs and then replace them with the sideboard. I just go straight, just skip it's gonna be contact lenses. Tap right into my brain. Go right right to your your neural yeah. input like the exactly. matrix. Oh my god. Just go right into the brain itself. <laughs> you don't need to worry about screen resolution or like frame yeah. rate or any of that <laughs> stuff. 
Well, um, I glanced down at my clock and it appears that we've been podcasting for over an hour, sir. So, Brian, what you get to do now while Brandon and I go refill our coffee mugs is you get to take over the mics, talk directly to the audience and shout out, promote or raise awareness for something you're involved in or just think needs a little more attention. Uh, If that's your teacher from third grade or if it's, you know, your arch nemesis who got you again. Without further ado, sir, the floor is yours. Wow. Um, Like I said before, uh, I've been playing a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, and I think that everybody should be playing that game. Uh, it's uh, it's the way that that I tell that you can cooperatively tell a story and learn about people, and it's it's social, and it, but it also helps you with math, and it helps you with acting, and it's it's a great game. It's I think it needs more attention and. With everybody looking at their screens and stuff these days, it's kind of fun to sit down and play a game with other people. And playing a cooperative game like that can certainly improve your life and improve the lives of your friends. So it's a weird plug, but I think it's it's a fantastic game and more people should be playing it. Dude, I'm sure Wizards is super happy with that. So. <laughs> exactly. And I'm, I'll be expecting my check shortly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, make sure we get our cut and then we'll send you, you know, through the pipeline. <laughs> All right. Wait, wait to monetize the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, but that's yeah, that's that's an awesome plug, man. It's not selfish at all, which is yeah. usually what I look. I'm excited when people come on and talk about other things like not related to their own personal interests. So that's mm-hmm. it was an honor meeting you this night. I think you're all right. I'm Larry Charles, and I'm saying good night. This is Brandon Fam. See you guys next week. So thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope that you're a subscriber, but if you aren't, please feel free to follow us on any of the major podcast platforms, especially iTunes or Spotify. You can find show notes and more resources available to help you become a successful game developer. Just go on over to our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. If you're interested in keeping the conversation going, then definitely come check us out in Discord where we chat in real time for After Show Tuesdays to discuss episodes and Feedback Fridays where we share screenshots on the projects that we're currently working on. If you go over to Patreon.com, you can support our podcast financially. And if you do so, you get access to Life Unchained, our on-the-pulse, unfiltered game dev gossip content that we make exclusively for our Patreon supporters. And as usual, you can keep in touch and follow our happenings on Facebook and Twitter. That's Game Dev Unchained, the podcast.